0: really how I made in life's presses.
1: Is that how they do it on your planet?
0: Yeah, it's a pretty tough planet. Well
1: I'm so glad um, you made it. I was a little worried I'd be going solo. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah. I made
1: it. It's really exciting to talk about what we get to talk about today. hmm And I'm so excited that I wanted to get off to a good start. Okay. But I'm not sure how to do it.
0: Oh <laughs> you don't have a plan?
1: What if you start?
0: That's a good start.
1: Guess what? I wrote her a script.
0: He did. It's right here. On your marks, get set, go. Ready? This is going to be good. Introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Dirt is dirty. (laughs) (laughs) And thank goodness. Hiding in dirt are the wonderful elements that make this world so amazing. Plants push their fingers down into the dirt where they extract chemicals. These chemicals are drawn up into the plant where they are transformed into leaves, having the power to collect energy from the sun.
1: Now, wait a minute. <laughs> so dirt is dirt. Yeah. We all know about it. Dirt, who would want dirt? I like dirt. And yet, <laughs> plants push their fingers, their roots, down into the dirt, and they find molecules... Oh, I've been looking for that one. And they pull them up in the plant and they use those molecules to stitch together leaves. And it's not like it's an outfit, it's like it's an outfit that can trap the sunshine and capture it. It's
0: amazing. <laughs> do, 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 do. It's I mean, that's amazing. Right, yeah, yeah. No wonder I like plants. That well. isn't
1: in there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was me. Okay. okay. These chemicals are drawn up into the plant where they are transformed into leaves having the power to collect energy from the sun.
1: I think I've heard that before.
0: Into flowers Ah. that emit wonderful fragrance and beautify the earth and even fruit, which is the miracle by which we now live.
1: Fragrance. Mm -hmm. So you take dirty old dirt pulled up into the plant and it, it makes it smell good.
0: That's pretty. No way. No way. You're making this up. No, keep going. I'm just reading (laughs) this For many (coughs) years, mankind has studied dirt. Not
1: womankind. (laughs) Not kind women. For many
0: years, the kind of women like me have studied dirt. (laughs) That's not written there either. (laughs) In it, we have discovered the power to make many miracles of our own. Today, we will learn about one of those wondrous miracles. We will learn about iron. Iron is one of the really wonderful elements found in dirt. In the human body, iron is absolutely necessary. Iron is a key component of red blood cells that carry oxygen from the lungs to each and every living cell in the body. Without iron, we cannot live. Iron is also important to the creation of DNA, the magical substance that gives cells the ability to reproduce. Without iron, we could not exist. Iron has an atomic number of 26, meaning there are 26 protons in its nucleus, and it has 26 moons, or electrons, in orbits around iron atoms. In nature, iron is found in special dirt that we call iron ore. Iron ore consists of rocks and dirt from which metallic iron can be economically recovered. Naturally occurring iron is usually in the form of iron oxides. Iron ore is dirt that can vary in color. It is often red, looking like rusted metal, but it is also found a dark color we call magnetite. She
1: did a great job. Thank you. Did you write that?
0: Oh, you wrote this, but I did add some reason. Really well written, <laughs> yeah, you
1: did ad lib, didn't you? Okay, well, we need to talk about steel. 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 We still need to talk about iron, which is what we use to make steel. Steel. Think what steel is used for in our world. We use it to make cars. Mm-hmm. We use it to make washing machines, refrigerators, silverware. We use still everywhere without tall buildings, bridges, radio towers, many, many things. It is an extremely important part of our world. And yet, where do we get it? And the answer is, we get it out of dirt. Plants get all these different things out of dirt. We get still out of dirt. And it's something that mankind has known how to pull out of dirt for a long time. I remember so well as a student in the 11th grade taking chemistry for the first time and learning about how we make steel and just being so blown away by by how amazing it is. And I wanna kinda go through that today and I think you're gonna find this is kind of an exciting discussion. So first of all, we're gonna start by getting just a little bit of background. So when you have a piece of nice shiny still and it hasn't been painted or it doesn't have oil on, it, it's just clean still, if it gets wet, it rusts. Everybody knows what rust is about. That's one of the reasons we paint still, is because it rusts. When it rusts, the iron element in still combines with oxygen in the air and forms iron oxide, which is reddish in color, and uh, that kind of messes up the still, doesn't it? So let's talk about that red color, that red oxide, because that's what it looks like out when it's in dirt. It's it's usually kind of a, a red material. There's a lot of different oxides of iron. Iron is an element that has the ability to form different kinds of bonds and different numbers of bonds, which makes it's a, a intermediate element, and so it has that capability. But one of the most popular, probably the most popular uh, oxide of iron that we use to make steel is hematite. And it's kind of a, a reddish color rock or dirt. And the chemical formula for it is iron, Fe2, I wanna show you the molecule of hematite. Here it is. Can you see the two iron atoms? So Fe2, and then oxygen, O123. So this is like rusted iron, and it's a reddish kind of an element that you find out in nature, and that is one of the main ways we find iron in the wild, okay? Now there's another form of of iron ore that is quite popular that that I really like, it's called magnetite. So you have hematite and magnetite. Now magnetite is, is really kind of fancy. Let's look at the chemical formula. So it's Fe3, instead of Fe2O3, it's Fe3O4. So you've got three irons and four oxygens. But look at that strange molecule. There's one up on top, an iron and an oxygen with a double bond. And then there's two irons and three oxygen. Oh, that's the same thing we saw before. That's the hematite. So what's the deal here? And it turns out, the top one, FeO, is uh, an iron oxide molecule, and the other one is an iron oxide molecule. But these two kinds of iron molecules form in the same crystal structure. And so in nature you see them and they're all interspersed together. And when they do that, some really interesting properties occur. In the first place, the Fe2O3 or the hematite, the red stone is not magnetic, but the fe Fe3O4 or the magnetite is magnetic. That's why we call it magnetite, right? And why? Because it's how the electrons interfere between these two molecules that are close together and in the same crystal lattice. Uh, magnetite is not red, even though it has Fe2O3, which is red, in it. When you mix it with the other uh, oxide, it's black. It's very, very black. Hmm. Now, I want to take you on a little adventure, if we can. Uh, We had a crew here uh, go out to uh, an area in southwest United States where we explored for different minerals, and we went out to a place where we discovered some dirt that was blackish. It was called black sands. And some of you have probably heard of black sands. Many states have black sands, but we found some and shoveled it into a bucket and, and brought it home. Well, black sand, the black in black sands is hematite. And I want to show you a video of us doing some experimenting with this black hematite, okay? So this is actually an iron ore that we could use to make iron, to make steel. And so is the red stuff something. And in both cases, the reason that it's not still is because they both have reacted with oxygen, okay? A piece of wood is a piece of, of hydrocarbon that hasn't reacted with hydrogen. When you burn it, then it turns into ash and CO2 mainly in the air. So let's, let's roll this little video from, from the lab. Okay, I have a sample of sand taken from out in the the desert out in southwest United States. This is called black sands. And I want to, I've screened the big rocks out so you can see it's all about the same size. And I have myself a nice little magnet here. I put it inside the plastic bag for a reason that'll become real obvious in a minute. I'm going to take this magnet in a plastic bag and I'm going to poke it around on this sample of dirt like so. You see what I'm doing? I'm just poking around in the sample and look what I've picked up. All of this magnetite has been pulled out of the sand by this magnet. And you see how it's standing up there because it's got lines of magnetic force. I'm going to put this inside your bag. You're going to have to carefully get that over the top there. And then... If I'm really good at this, I'm gonna remove my magnet, which should make all of that just drop off into your bag. How did we do? Really good. Did you get some? Yep. Okay, so now we have kind of a heavy sand, a sample of magnetite sand, and we're gonna analyze it and see what the mineral content is. Okay, here you go. Okay, so we've got this sample of the magnetic material we pulled out of the sand. Which we're going to go ahead now and put it inside the analyzer, and close the lid. This is a an analyzer that uses X-rays to analyze materials, different elements. And you want to go ahead and get ready and start running the test. And as the test starts to run, we can see it telling us, uh, "Don't open the lid now, because starting test." Now it's going to take about uh, two to three minutes to be able to scan for all of the elements that are in this sample, then we'll see what we have. Okay, so it looks like the analysis is just finishing up. How are we looking on iron content? It's 42.8%. 42.8% iron. It's almost half iron. And we can pull it right out of the sand with magnets. This is a very nice ore. Mm -hmm. So uh, that is magnetite. And just thinking about, by using a magnetic separator, you can pull out all of the iron from all the dirt. Now, with the red ore, you can't do that because it's not magnetic. But this black stuff, you can. So you can get it fairly concentrated, and that's 42% iron. What else is in there? Well, there's probably some impurities, but the big impurity is oxygen because all that iron is rusted, it's reacted with oxygen, and that's how we find it in nature. So if we wanna turn it into steel so we can make silverware or whatever, we need to remove the oxygen. How do you separate oxygen in ore that's tied up with iron? And this is where the story starts to get more interesting. And as I listened in chemistry, my professor, Uh, we call him teacher in 11th grade, but he started telling us the story of how this is done in the still plant. And it's interesting because I lived right by a still mill, by a still plant where they made still. And in fact, for, for my early years of my life, my father worked at the still plant. He worked in a part of the plant they called the Coke ovens. Okay. So I was very interested to see the chemistry of how it works. And the chemistry, the basic chemistry is real simple. You have iron hanging on to oxygen, and you want to rip the oxygen off. And you've got to do it with the chemical process. So what you've got to do is you've got to find some chemical that wants the oxygen more than the iron does. Some big bully chemical that will go in and just <laughs> rip it away. Take it. Oh boy. And that chemical happens to be carbon. They do it with carbon. Really? Yeah. Carbon likes oxygen. It wants to make CO2, greenhouse gas.
0: Holy carbon.
1: Yeah. It, and when it <laughs> sees that iron oxide is a gimme, that oxygen and the iron's sitting there all alone. Good idea. Does That's what we ask, wanted, right? It? So, but in order to make a lot of still, and we use a lot of still in this world, you need a lot of carbon. And where do you get the carbon? And you want it pretty clean. So where do you get it? Where do you get it? And the answer is this is a piece of graphite. Uh, you get it from coal. Now you could get it from trees, but take a lot of trees. But there are these very large ancient trees and grass and other critters that lived a long time ago. They captured all of the sun coming down during those days and then they died and they got buried over in layers and we waited eons and finally they turned into coal. But that's all energy from the sun that was stored by plants, okay? So now we dig up the coal and the coal is dirty. It's got a lot of things. It's not really ready to make still yet, we've got to kind of clean it up. And so what we do is we take the coal and we put it into a furnace. And we block off all of the oxygen. If you heat up coal with oxygen, with air, it'll burn. We don't want it to burn. We just want it to drive out all of the impurities. So we heat it up red hot with no oxygen and it turns it into something like charcoal. Charcoal, you know, like charcoal briskets, Mm -hmm. which we make from wood the same way. We heat them up without oxygen, and that drives out everything and makes them black, and we end up with primarily carbon. Well, in large quantities in a steel plant, we make carbon out of coal by putting the coal into these ovens. Now, the ovens they do this with are lined up like, one oven after another after another. They're so big it takes a railroad car to fill them and a railroad car to empty them. And the reason they have so many is because they wanna keep the process running all the time. So bring in one load in a big car, drop it down in the oven, then they go get another load for another one of these ovens and when it cooks for about 18 hours to drive out all the impurities and then They push, they have a big arm that pushes out all of the coke, which is the carbon left over, into a railroad car, and then they haul it into the next step in the process. Now, here's where this gets interesting. This process of turning coal into coke stinks. (laughs) When I grew up by a still plant, whoa, did it stink. And it was the Coke ovens that stunk. Because when you cook coal and you drive out the impurities, one of the things you drive out is sulfur. And sulfur likes to react with all sorts of things to make all kinds of stinky stuff. (laughs) Did you know that if you react sulfur and hydrogen, it forms hydrogen sulfide, better known as rotten egg gas? (laughs) Stinks. So... All of that pollution comes off. And when you drive out all of these impurities, they come out as as smoke, stinky, yucky smoke. And I I want you to see this. Now, is this a big deal? Yeah, let me tell you how big it is. (laughs) 10% of the CO2 that mankind sends up into the global warming problem comes from making still. 10% 10% mm, of the CO2 we make on this earth as human beings 10%. comes from making steel. Now I put together uh, a few video clips to show you how this actually works. So first as a model, let's take a look at this video. Here we are, so see this is the, the Coke oven. See all those different ovens there and on top is the little train that drops in the coal you can see it's dropping the coal in. Now this part is an animation, but it fills it all up. When it gets full, it goes to get some more for the next one, and it starts turning on the heat. So you turn on the heat in the oven, you start cooking it, and little by little, the coal starts to get hot. and gets hot, and as it gets very, very hot, starts driving out all this stinky stuff. And after 18 hours, it's ready to be pushed out of the oven in the cart. Now this is not an animation, this is an actual video showing the coke coming out of the oven. And here it comes. Can you see any smoke?
0: (laughs) Just a little
1: bit. And look, they're getting so much they have to move the train car to be able to take it all. Look at all of that coke. Look at all that fire and smell. That is CO2 going up in the air. Now, most of the CO2 doesn't come at this step, it comes at the next step in the process. This just puts out a lot of real stinky, silver awful stuff that shouldn't happen. And here's the next oven dumping in another car. I just wanted you to see, if you happen to live by one of these, it really, really stinks. Chances are, unless you're somewhere else in the world, you probably don't live by them, because in the United States, when the Environmental Protection Agency started making rules, they said, this is too polluting for the US. And that's why we buy almost all of our steel In the U.S., about the only still we make is still we make by melting scrap. And that's not really making it, is it? And the reason is because of all that pollution. And of course, trying to save the environment, we we don't want to make it in the U.S. because that would be CO2 going up in the air. So instead, we ship it around to China and let them make our still. They... uh, They tell us we need to be careful we don't put out very much CO2 in America. (laughs) But they go right ahead and do it. And I'm not sure the Earth gets any warmer if the CO2 comes from China than the US. But all of that smelly, smelly stuff is a real problem. Now after you have the Coke, you still don't have still. So you go to the next step. And the next step is the blast furnace. And I made a little diagram to show you the blast furnace. Take a look at this. This is a great big oven and the way that it works is they dump things in the top. They got the little ramp going up and they dump things in. The coke that they made is put in there. They also put the iron ore in, usually magnetite or hematite. And then they also put in some limestone and other chemicals like that to help get rid of the impurities. So they go in there And as it goes down in the oven, it gets hotter and hotter and hotter. The coke melts and turns into kind of a liquid. And of course, the uh, iron ore starts fighting with the carbon to see who gets to keep married to the iron and the carbon wins. And when the carbon gets an oxygen away from the iron, it forms CO, carbon monoxide, which is poisonous. Not cool. But then, again, as it hits more uh, <clears throat> oxygen, it, can, it develops into CO2. And this is the process where most of the CO2 from iron comes from is from this blast furnace. Mm. And it also gives off some more stinking smell. But it creates what we call iron, pig iron, which is a type of an iron like they use for pot belly stoves and things. Some of you have seen an iron skillet. Mm-hmm. If you take a a iron skillet or something made out of pig iron and hit it real hard with a sledgehammer, it'll kind of break, still won't. And the reason that pig iron is not really still yet is because it still has about 5% of the carbon in it that got left there. So now you have to go to another furnace to get rid of the carbon and to add the other additives for the alloy of steel you want to make. So this is how they make still. And you have to know that to be able to enjoy the story I'm going to tell you. <laughs> uh, because this is really a true story. So I was looking at all of that, and I was saying, wow, so carbon stills the oxygen right away from the iron, and we get still, and pollution, and smell.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Back then, we weren't as worried about CO2, but we also get 10% of the world's CO2. So in... Later, next year of high school, I had my wonderful experience with the science fair, built the hydrogen car, and all of a sudden, you, they say you get dollar signs in your eyes. Well, I didn't. I got hydrogen signs in my eyes. I could only think about <laughs> hydrogen. <laughs> yes. So I graduated from college, and I started a company called the Billings Energy Research Corporation, and our mission was to find out how to use hydrogen to change the world we made cars buses hydrogen home mill um, delivery vehicles all the tractor fireplace stove all these things run on hydrogen and in 1975 which is a long time ago now it dawned on me that i knew something that would work better than carbon at stilling the oxygen away from iron hydrogen Hydrogen loves oxygen, and it could go grab that oxygen, rip it away from the iron so they'd make still, and it would turn into not CO2 or CO or stink. You wouldn't need coal, which stinks. It would turn into water. There would be absolutely no pollution. (laughs) So I started doing some research on this paper research, and I wrote a nice big paper, and then I contacted the United States Steel Corporation, headquartered in Pittsburgh. And I told him I had this great idea because the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, was passing clean air law, or was enforcing clean air laws passed by Congress, and they were shutting down our steel plants. Telling them, unless you can stop all of that yeah. gas and stink and smell, we're not gonna let you make any more steel. And so, still plants were starting to go overseas, and I said, I know how to save them. Wow. They can switch from coal to hydrogen. Wow. So I went back there, and I went into this beautiful auditorium, and I think there were about 200 scientists and engineers that came to hear my presentation, all employees of the United States still. So I told them, and you can use hydrogen and it will get that oxygen and it'll take it out of there and you'll have still. <laughs> and when I got done, they clapped and they stood up. And and, and I heard that means they liked it. <laughs> I was really excited because I'm doing something really great. Then, after the meeting, I was taken to lunch in the executive dining room at United States Still, And I had lunch with the vice president of research for the biggest steel company in the world. And wow, what a thrill. And i just sure that they were gonna jump on this hydrogen thing and away we go. Well, the only thing we talked about during lunch was what this gentleman was gonna do in three weeks when he retired. It was his last three weeks. He didn't even want to know about hydrogen at all and I never heard another word from U.S. still, which was very frustrating to me, because I thought, wow, do they know know. how good this is? (laughs) And it's just so frustrating to have a good idea, and no one seems to be interested. So then um, I wrote a paper on it, and it was circulated, and eventually it was seen by Nippon still, Japanese still. Nippon, by the way, is Japan in Japanese, right? And hydrogen is suiso. Yeah, I had to learn that. Mm When they said hydrogen, they said what? Suiso. Yeah, suiso. Okay. So I went over to Tokyo, and I made this big presentation to uh, Nippon Steel and told them that they could make steel using hydrogen. There'd be no pollution. Mm-hmm. and they thought that was really, really interesting. They were going to research it some more, and I got a good reception, and they, they came to see me, and we had quite a bit of correspondence. But that was in the 1970s. That was, was it 50 years ago? Mm-hmm. It's a long time ago. Well, lo and behold, over time, they started doing some very interesting experiments, which they actually began to commercialize. And in these experiments they started putting hydrogen in with the coke they made from coal. Wow. And they were able to cut down on the amount of coal by about one-third by adding hydrogen. But two-thirds of the pollution was still there and they still used coal. And that's kind of as far as they were interested in going. Well, guess what? What? Um, there is a, a, a bunch of news now about a thing called green still. Mm-hmm. Green still, green steel. it's still made without pollution, without CO2, without global warming, without coal. And the United States Department of Energy is all excited about green still. I was just 50 years early.
0: I know you it's pretty do closed. that time. I mean,
1: in astronomical years, that's hard. That's right <laughs> on. Anyway, But
0: right
1: there on. is a company over in Sweden called Hydrogen Green Still mm. Corporation, and they are actually building a still plant. And guess who they went to to help them have the technology to build that plant? Nippon Still, because they had already used some hydrogen in their process. And now Nippon Still and H2 Green Hydrogen of Sweden are building a still plant which will use 100% hydrogen, no coal, and they're saying 95% reduction in pollution, but they hope they can get it up to 100% as they go 100% hydrogen. Won't that be amazing?
0: What have you done?
1: Well, it turns out that during these 50 years while I'm sitting here saying, why won't they do it? (laughs) And a lot of them said, you know, Roger, you're crazy. That'll never happen. There will never be hydrogen cars. There will never be an accelerated learning system. There will never be a Billings computer. When you're saying all those things, I'm saying, yeah, but when you're ready to do it, I'm going to be ready. (laughs) So I have been developing... Two key pieces of technology that you need to make green still. Two. Two. And now this company over in Sweden has received a two billion dollar investment to help them build their first commercial plant, and they have two more billion euros promised. It's in euros, not dollars. And all of a sudden, the whole world is getting excited about hydrogen still. And they call it green hydrogen or green still if the hydrogen is made from renewable sources like solar or wind, okay? So I wanna show you a, a diagram here. This is my hydrogen reactor, green still production and uh, I put some of the benefits of this thing. There's no pollution. There's little billings there. I don't know how that got there.
0: Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how that got there.
1: Uh, the process of being able to do this is pretty tricky. And there are two very, very important technologies that you need to make that green still, which I have perfected. And I'm really, really excited about it. And now that everybody wants to get going, I am ready to bring my technology treasures out of the cellar and show them to the world. Now, I've never published my research. I did early, but in the last, uh, oh, 25 years, I stopped publishing my results because When you publish, Mm -hmm. your patents start running, and you only get 17 years that are expired. All my early patents are being used by everyone that's making hydrogen cars, but they're all expired. And so all of my good stuff, I've just been keeping as a secret, a trade secret, until this time. And so now I'm pulling it out and launching it. Now, there's some interesting news going on right now. Nippon Still, the big giant... Japanese steel company is buying United States steel. Oh. And United States steel is basically a company that melts scrap. I mean, they've really gone from the giant they once were, but still, this is a multi billion dollar transaction. I think they're going through some approvals, but so United States still won't be United States anymore. It'll probably still be called that, but it'll be owned by Japan. And that's wonderful that Japan's helping us out in that way. Most of our still now is coming from China. And um, they're not as worried about the environment as we are here. And so, uh, but we should all be because it's the same environment. COT goes up, goes around the whole world. So we, we want to do something about it. Well, United States still, hmm, owned by the Japanese. I have an idea. (laughs) With the technology that I have,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I actually have started having discussions with some major players that are pretty excited about this, finally, that are very excited about my technology, and we're actually talking about forming a brand new company called American Steel Corporation. Yes.
0: I love it. American Steel. I love it. I want a shirt that says American Steel Corporation. American Steel, Cor- what? I want a car
1: made out of American Steel. Yes. And I, I think this is going to be one of the really important ventures. Now, why am I telling you this story? Because a wonderful, dedicated chemistry teacher, the same guy that took me to the International Science Fair Uh, a year later taught me about the chemistry of how this works and taught me about electronegativity and about which elements could do what and I was able to, from what he and my textbook taught me to see that hydrogen would reduce iron ore, just like carbon, but instead of making pollution, remember the pollution in cars comes from burning carbon, hydrocarbons, right? Well, in this case, the pollution for making still comes from reacting carbon with iron ore. But if you react to it with hydrogen, the oxygen pulls out and says, <gasps> now I'm water. <laughs> it goes out to rain down on the earth, which is a very exciting thing. I am really, really excited about the potential of this and what it can do.
0: So it will be a double-double hydrogen car if the steel's made from hydrogen and the car's running. (laughs) A double-double-decker, you know, hydrogen (laughs) bus. Anyway, it's it's pretty
1: exciting. When you learn these technologies, it enables you to do big things. And this is a big project, and some really major companies are wanting to get involved, and I think we're going to have a big venture. Now, we're going to be competing with the guys in Sweden, and the guys in the Pone still, and everyone else that has their ideas. But I think in the last 25 years, while no one was very interested, that I found two key pieces that I really believe are gonna give us an edge. And the neat thing is, the EPA does not mind water vapor. <laughs> so we can make this beautiful iron into still right here, in United States of America and I think that's just wonderful as you learn these technologies and the engineering the math and so forth these kind of opportunities are going to come to you and that's really what it's all about now I'm happy to say that um, r 51 is is doing well in fact he's back we've got him under a program so he cannot leave the premises he he's crazy (laughs) He is. thinks he invented everything. I mean, it's just really, really crazy. And I and I was trying to explain this to him. I wish you could have heard him when I was telling him about green steel. <laughs> green steel, I thought it was shiny and metallic. I said, no, it's, it is shiny and metallic. <laughs> anyway, so uh, we caught this little clip that I'll just share with you in closing. Okay, okay. R51, how are you doing? Hello, uh, R51 here and... In- and I'm helping out with this research. Um, Did you know that I invented steel, green steel? I I invented it too. Yeah, sure you did. Well, here's what I did. I went by somebody's office and uh, I got a telephone and I took it, in fact, you it's, took their telephone. Right I'm, I'm not sure oh. whose telephone it is, but it was right there, and I got it. And so, uh, what I'm going to do now is oh, I'm going to transform this into green still because I invented green still. And this is how you do it. Oh goodness! Yeah. You see? <laughs> well, that isn't that isn't oh, still. Oh, you get it. You know. I still the phone. Now I'm turning it green. You still the phone. Green still the phone. (laughs) Uh, Thanks a lot. call Paget on her telephone. (laughs) It's green. She'll love it. She loves green stuff. (laughs) Okay, well, see you next time. Hey, do me a favor. Don't anybody turn out like him. Okay, we'll see you next time. Thank you.